Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. We hope it encourages you to live and love like Jesus. I got to confess something. I am. Pride is a sin, right? I. Do what? It's too heavy. It keeps keeps pushing it down. Um, I am so proud of the response that this church has made. And not to be uh, competitive, but we're the second largest response in Collin County in terms of organizations. So just want to let you know. And and the church that beat us, I'm I'm sorry, the church that, uh, how do I say that? Anyway, uh, they're like five, six times bigger than we are. So, and they really didn't have that many more than us. So please forgive me because I'm really, I'm really feeling proud and I'm afraid that I'm going to get struck. Um, next Sunday's Bible Sunday and I always like to preach a sermon on the Bible, the reliability and the purpose of the Bible. I brought with me today my third grade Bible. Um, I'm not going to tell you how old it is because most of you can do the math. So, but I've had this since the third grade. My mother helped me put a cover on it. And over the years, it has taken a prominent place and a less prominent place. It's, sometimes it gets stuck in a box in the, in the closet. But th- this time when, when we moved, uh, this is one of the first things that I found and pulled out. And I, I sat and, and looked at this and opened it up and read through it. I, the, the, uh, the place in the beginning says, given to John Allen at First Methodist Church of, of Arlington, Texas. And I, I just, I, I want to tell you that this Bible began a journey for me that led me to ministry. I, I cannot say how important that Bible has been to me. I uh, can't express in words how important it's been to me. But, and, and you have to understand that as a preacher's kid, preacher's kids don't want to be pastors. They watch their parents and they see what the, the work and the blood, sweat, and tears of ministry. And so uh, when people would ask me in high school, am I going to follow in my father's footsteps? I would not just say no, but no. And as I was looking at this Bible and kind of looking through it, I realized that this was the beginning. This was the beginning of that journey for me. That led me, in spite of all of the questions and the objections that I had, to answer that call. And that's also why I see next Sunday as vitally important to our church. I want to put a Bible in as many uh, hands of the children as we possibly can. And I need your help for that. I need you to let me know who those children are. 
I need you to bring those children to church. And then, and then we should make it one of our, if not our first priority, our number one priority, at least at the top of our priority list, the teaching of the Bible to those children. That they would know the basis for our faith and the word that brings us into salvation with Jesus Christ and sustains us through the work of the Holy Spirit among us. That's what next Sunday's about. And for me, it will be an emotional time. It always is of giving Bibles to third graders. So this morning, I want to talk about the Bible. I want to, some of it is rudimentary in, in some, to some extent, uh, stuff that you will probably know, and uh, some of it may be new information. But I want to present it in such a way that uh, not so much to educate or enlighten, but to give you tools to share with family and friends about the Bible. Because we are in a battle in our day. Um, uh, Gallup, in their latest survey on the condition of the church in America, found that uh, interest in the Bible is at an all-time low. Further, that the Bible is seen as less reliable and more of a myth than the Word of God. And I think we as Christians need to know the truth about that. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through some of some of the of, of a response to those who might say that this is a myth, that this is, this is just a, another book, because it is not. It is God's Word. It opens the way to understanding the salvation of Jesus Christ. It opens the way to understanding and receiving the work of the Holy Spirit among us. And the deeper that we dig into the Bible, the more wonderful the message becomes. And, and I think one of the, one of the stumbling blocks that, that we find with, with people, at least I have found, is that people want to ask the question, how? Okay? How did this happen in the Bible? Or how did this happen? I don't understand. It doesn't, it doesn't click in my head, you know, the miracles of Jesus. And we get stuck. Well, it is not for us to understand the divine ways of God. The more important questions to ask the Bible is not so much how, but who, what, where, when. To ask those important questions that help us to dig deep into the Scriptures to understand uh, what the Scriptures have for us. And to not see science and reason as an enemy. I've dealt with a lot of Christians in what... They want to dismiss science or they want to undermine science or they want to somehow uh, contradict science so that they can understand the Bible. That's not necessary. That's not necessary at all. In fact, Albert Einstein says this about science and religion. He says, um, religion without science is crippled. But science without religion is lame. The point of the Bible is not just to understand what is happening, 
but to understand why and for what reason it is happening. And according to Einstein, it is the place where real truth, eternal truth, is found. So I want to put the Bible in every third grader, every fourth grader, every fifth grader's hands. I want to teach them how to, how to understand the Bible, how to see the Bible. And this morning, I'd just like to kind of walk through a few things. I mean, I could, I could talk about the Bible for hours, okay? I've spent my life studying this book and trying to come to understand from Genesis to Revelation what, that, what the message is for me, for my life, for the church, for our culture, for, for people. But I want to just kind of start at the beginning, ask a few questions of the Bible, of our culture, and to see what answers that we might find. Um, before I get started, I do have one quote from Mark Twain, the comedian who, uh, he's not a theologian. He said, most people are bothered by the passages of Scripture that they don't understand. But the message that bothers, the passages that bother me the most are the ones I do understand. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Open your word to us, O oh God. There's so much about this book that we don't understand. And help us, Lord, to grow in our understanding. There's so much, Lord, that we can gain from your holy writ. Help us, O oh God, to stick with it and to hold it up for ourselves, for our children, for those around us. Speak to us, O oh God, this day. And may the words of my mouth be for this day, your holy word, for all that I don't speak, fill in the gaps, for all that I misspeak. May you correct it in our hearing, for I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, the Bible, the word itself, means a book or a collection of books regarded as having authority on a topic. And for us, Therefore, the Bible would be the book that has ultimate authority upon Almighty God. For us, the Bible is the book that has ultimate authority about God. Culturally, we are at war. I truly believe this. We are at war with, with the culture in terms of the church because there are those who want to say that the church no longer is relevant to the problems that we are facing in our world. Well, I would submit to them that there is no other time that the church's message is more relevant than now. Especially with the issues that we are facing. And this is the book that informs who we are as brothers and sisters in Christ. And therefore, understanding and being able to dig into this book makes it important for us as we, are, as we face those issues um, in our society. The Christian Bible, just a little overview here, is a collection of 66 different books divided into two sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. It contains history, poetry, humor, prophecy, romance, letters, biographies, songs, journals, advice, laws, and stories. Um, it has every kind of story that you can possibly imagine. 
It has every kind of history. It has every kind of literature. It is the first book printed on the printing press. It is the best-selling book of all time. It has been translated, and there's some argument. I couldn't get a final number, uh, and I, I guess part of that is because it probably changes every week with the digital nature of the computer being able to translate for us. But we know for sure that almost 2,000 languages, the Bible's been translated to almost 2,000 languages. Wycliffe says that, that at least portions, if not the full Bible, has been translated into 3,495 languages. Now, you say, wow, that's a lot. Only problem is there's 7,000 languages in the world. We're only halfway there. We're only halfway there to make the Word of God, the Bible, available to every person around the world. The Old Testament is made up of 39 books. It was written between 1500 B.C. and 400 B.C., over an 1100-year period. It was written by over 40 different authors. The New Testament was 27 books written over a 50-year span in the first century, it focuses on Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection. It focuses also upon the beginnings of the Christian church. It includes instruction from the mouth of Jesus as well as through the letters of Paul and other letters of how to live as a follower of Jesus Christ. So, How do we determine the reliability of the Bible? How can we address that eroding confidence in the Bible? Well, first, is there any secular confirmation of the Bible? Okay? Is there any secular confirmation? I gave you the quote from from Albert Einstein. Well, let's go back to like the first and second century and hear from those contemporaries in the first and second century of the New Testament writers. What did, what did they say about the Bible? Did they say, oh no, well, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were a myth. You know, the, the writings of Paul are, are, you know, that's not really what happened. No, actually the opposite is the case. Seventeen historical writers, which makes up a, in that particular day a large majority of the primary uh, historical writers, affirm the events of the New Testament. They confirm the life, teaching, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the beginning of the church, and the miracles that took place and are recorded in the New Testament. There are uh, non-Christian sources that confirm that Jesus was crucified as a blasphemer, rose from the dead, and appeared to his disciples to his disciples who were themselves transformed into bold preachers. These writers include, but are not, um, but are not uh, exclusive of, the most well-known, respected ancient historian. You probably don't know these names, but Tacitus, uh, Suetonius, uh, Thallius, the Jewish historian Josephus, and even the Jewish Talmud itself records the accuracy of the New Testament. Government officials also affirmed the historical accuracy of the New Testament. 
uh, Philini of the Younger and the Roman Caesars Trajan and Hadrian. They also affirmed the New Testament. Now, why would we question why would we question the Bible and the accuracy of the Bible if those historians who actually lived in that day and experienced those events through through others and and recorded them as true? Why would we question? I mean, actually, and I, I may have even said this before, there is more evidence that Jesus died and rose from the dead than there is that George Washington was the pres- first president of the United States. Did you know that? It, <clears throat> because it's the accuracy that we begin to look at. It is the accuracy. Typically, classical works are usually verified by having 10 or more verifiable manuscripts, okay? And that those manuscripts will agree by 70%. 10 or more manuscripts agreeing by 70%. And if that is the case, then classical historians and scholars will say, okay, this really happened. The Bible... There are 25,000 existing manuscripts of the Old and the New Testament. Of these, 5,000 full or partial Greek manuscripts are found of the New Testament. In addition, these manuscripts have a 99.9% agreement. I'm... (laughs) Why would we question the Bible? It, it, meets, it meets beyond a shadow of a doubt the criteria of secular scholars. How do we know the Bible, the New Testament in particular, is reliable? I think that's pretty obvious. And what do we believe about the Bible? As a denomination, as a Methodist movement, here's what John Wesley says. He says, the Holy Scriptures contain all things necessary to salvation. My ground on which I stand is the Bible. Yea, I am a Bible bigot. I follow it in all things, both great and small. Our Methodist book of discipline and doctrine says this about the Bible. We believe that the Holy Bible, Old and New Testaments, reveal the Word of God so far as is necessary for our salvation. It is to be received through the Holy Spirit as the true rule and guide for faith and practice. Whatever is not revealed or established by Holy Scripture is not to be made an article of faith, nor is it to be taught as essential to salvation. What do we believe about the Bible? I want to look at three scriptures. We could look at a hundred, but I'm going to look at three to get at the heart of what we do believe about the Bible. The first is Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. To me, that passage gives us the context, the context of what the Bible might mean for us. 
Um, it is a light. It is the direction. It provides the way. It provides a, a, a means by which we can, we can navigate this world. And only the Bible has an, an immortal, eternal author. Because the inspired word is living and active, there is and will always be an application of the word to our lives. Dwight L. Moody once said, The scriptures were not given to increase our knowledge, but to change our lives. The scriptures were not given to increase our knowledge, but to change our lives. The second scripture is this, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and it is useful for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. To put it another way, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, and training us to live in God's way. To teach, to convict, to correct, to train. All Scripture is inspired, God-breathed by God and is useful for teaching, to teach. By calling the Bible God-breathed, Paul is identifying the divine nature of the Bible. Now, it was written by men and a few women. Um, and, And some would say, well, then it's been corrupted by their writing. But I would say that it has been inspired and that as the writer is scripting the words, so the word of God flows through them. And, and we have from, from the beginning, you know, we, we have the Bible. And yet we believe that God continues to use human beings to share his word. Me, me standing up here is one way that God's word is shared. What you have to say to each other in a small group setting is another way that God's Word is shared. Um, A teacher who is teaching or a book that is written is another way of sharing God's Word. But in, in our tradition, what we believe that those preaching, teaching, and writings must agree with what the Bible says. Anything outside of that is is outside of of who we are and who we ought to be, to teach. And the question that I would ask as as one would see the Bible as as a teaching instrument is what basic truth is it that God wants me to know in this passage? What basic truth does God want me to know in this passage? And, And then second, to convict. You know, Paul says there that for teaching, for reproof, literal translation of that Greek word is to convict, um, as one would convict in a court of law, as one would be convicted by the words of friend or family, as they call them to account. Um, So the Bible convicts us. And as we approach the Bible, we should ask the questions, what is God showing me about a situation? What behavior can be useful to God? What behavior 
is destructive in my life that I need to address. And then to correct. When we approach the Bible, we should ask, how might this passage correct, balance, or direct me? And then finally, to train. Um, When we approach the Bible, we should ask the question, what does this passage present or prepare me for some spiritual or emotional challenge? You know, I, as I look at the word train, as Paul uses it there in Second Timothy, I, th- I think about, and you're going to stick with me here, okay? I, I think about the propane grill that I just bought. And you're going, okay, you're going to have to... So I can hear the lawyer objecting and saying, relevance. Do y'all watch TV? I mean, I've watched enough lawyer shows. I mean, I'm... Relevance. What's the relevance of the Bible and a propane grill? Well, Amy is afraid that I'm going to blow myself up. She's afraid that somehow I'm not going to connect the propane bottle to the grill or that I'm going to somehow overheat over, uh, the grill and that there is an ex- explosion possibility. In fact, she doesn't want it underneath the eaves of the house because in her mind, the gas could collect, right, and explode. She wants it out to where there's plenty of, plenty of air and draft so that we, I, can, I can cook outside. And so what I did was I visibly took the book of instruction and read through it so that she would know that I had read through the instructions on how to connect the bottle, how to, you know, how to light the deal, you know, what kind of, what kind of, uh, of space there should be around it. Our book of instruction is the Bible. None of us would think about using a grill, a propane grill for the first time without reading the instructions, would we? That would be like crazy. I mean, most everything in our lives, if we're going to drive a car, what do we have to do? We have to go to driving school. We have to take a driving test. We have to know the rules. Why would we be the same way about our... Why would we be different about our lives when we have a book of instruction right in front of us? Now... I do want to say this about the Bible in terms of, of training and learning, being convicted, and correction. That we have to read the Bible through the culture in which it was written to understand what it is that the Bible is trying to share with us. For example, women should keep their heads covered. I'm looking around the room right now. I don't think anybody's got their heads covered. You guys are in trouble as far as the Bible is concerned, right? Do you know why Paul said that? And, and do you know why it doesn't apply to our day? The women who walked around town with their heads uncovered were the, temple prost- the pagan temple prostitutes. Paul didn't want the women who had this new kind of freedom and equality with men um, to 
to be confused with temple prostitutes. And so, and so he says, keep your heads covered. I don't, we don't want you being confused. Keep your heads covered. And, and, and so let's take the next step with that in terms of understanding the Scriptures. Okay, and so if Paul is going to say that to women in his day, well, how does that translate to our day? It, the way, for me, the way it translates is that Paul would say to us that we should abstain from those activities that would confuse us with things in our culture that are destructive, dehumanizing, that are contrary to the Christian faith in life, that are hateful. And you talk about not keeping your head covered, I think we all could get convicted by that word. That's also why I believe that the Bible speaks to every age. As we take a look and at, at the culture in which it's written and then determine why and how it was written for that particular culture and then take the understanding of the truth of, of that passage and we begin to apply it to our own passage, our own day, we begin to see the Word of God. It, uh, uh, one more here. In Leviticus, it says that rebellious teenagers should be taken to the edge of the village and stoned to death. Any of you have rebellious children? Did you take them to the edge of the village and stone them? You did. Okay. You felt like it. Okay. All right. Um, You know, that's a pretty tough one. I would say that Number one, we don't use capital punishment in our culture unless it is extreme. What the writer of Leviticus is trying to do with that law is help us understand not just how destructive rebellion in a a teenager's life can be for the community, but how much, how destructive it can be for themselves and to guard against that rebellion. And for parents to love their teenage children enough to help them see beyond that rebellion to what can be, not to what isn't. Okay, enough of that. This last passage is Isaiah 55, 11, and 12. And um, I just want to pull out one phrase in here. Because he talks about the seasons in, in chapter 55. But he says here, So shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. Um, when you look at the, the Hebrew there, what you find is that as we speak the word of God, as we study and learn the Word of God, as we make the Word of God out of the Scriptures a part of our lives, there is a blessing that returns to us. It shall not return empty. Our efforts to understand that sometimes which we cannot understand shall still be a blessing for us. It shall not be wasted time, but it shall be a time that will, that will edify 
and give grace and peace. If we stay rooted and grounded in God's Word, there is nothing that we can't do. As God sends out God's Word and we respond, it always produces fruit. So you see, the Bible is not just simply a record of the past. It is not just a history of the Jews and then a history of a man named Jesus and the church. Every story, every prophecy, every teaching, every admonition, every commandment points to God. And ultimately, it is the way to our salvation through Jesus Christ. So again... (laughs) That's why I want to put this book in whatever form that it may be, or it's the same words, but it has different forms today, in the hands of as many children as we can, that they may own, learn, and live the Holy Word of God. For we study the Bible in order to get to know God. We study the Bible to understand God's truth for our lives. And we are are not to take the Bible for granted. We need to turn around the direction of our culture who thinks that the Bible is less and less reliable. We need to turn around the direction of of our culture who takes the Bible less and less seriously and help our culture understand the truth and the magnitude of this book that is before us, that is our book. I can say that that Bible and the many others that I have owned since then have changed my life and will continue to change my life. It has been my strength in times of trouble and trial. It has been my my foundation um, in times of change and challenge. It has been the place that I can go that I know will not forsake me. Do not take any Bible for granted, no matter its condition, no matter where it came from, no matter how often or how little that you have read it. This is a book that can change lives. One little cute story and it really is kind of a, a departure from the real core of this message, but it does kind of give us a, an insight to uh, what I'm talking about. The story's told about two friends. One was a, Bible, was a book collector. He loved to collect books, particularly ancient books. And, and he was showing a friend of his uh, his newest acquisitions, you know, a couple of, you know, really really cool, neat uh, historical books. And the friend says, you know, I, f- I found a book in the attic of my parents, and I think the book went back a couple of generations. He says, but I took it to the thrift store because I don't think it was worth much. And the guy said, well, what? tell me about it. He said, well, it wasn't in great condition. It was uh, a Guten, Guten, and the guy said, Gutenberg? And he goes, yeah, it was a Gutenberg Bible. And the, the collector said, oh my goodness, he said, just recently at auction, a, a Gutenberg Bible sold for $2 million. 
And the guy was not even phased. He said, well, I'll tell you what. He said, there's no way this one could go for $2 million. He said, it was just completely ruined. Some guy named Martin Luther had written in German all over it. From the first page to the last page, all these notes. This is our book, friends. This is our book. We are a people of one book, one foundation, one word. Do not take it for granted. Thanks be to God. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. You are invited to worship with us every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more information, visit our website, mysumc.org. Have a blessed day.